You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is Lindsay Miller of Half Hitch 3. Hey, Lindsay, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Lindsay is a rock star web developer with over five years of web design and development experience and is a proud U.S. military veteran who is passionate about helping new businesses get up and running online, as well as helping established businesses improve their existing websites. She specializes in WordPress websites that are user-friendly and fully editable once they are built. You can see her work on her site, halfhitch3, and that's the number three, dot com. But you can also see the great work she did on both of my sites, lopeslawllc.com and selfmadestrategies.com, of course. So Lindsay redesigned both of our sites did an amazing job, by the way. We've gotten a lot of great feedback from everyone that's been on our site. And now she's working on my wife's sites as well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit of a family affair. But on this episode, we're going to get to know Lindsay. We're going to hear a lot about how she started Half Hitch 3. But we're also going to talk about cybersecurity, data protection, best practices for designing your website, and how you can keep your site up to date, secure, SEO friendly, all of those things. Thanks for being here, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. So We'll start right with the beginning of Half Hitch 3. Tell us how you got started, how it all came about, what made you want to start that business. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so it was a little over a year ago. Uh, the company I was working for was starting to feel like it was in trouble financially, and we could all tell, but we were all assured that everything was fine. Uh, so it was 10 days before Christmas, I got called into the boss's office, and a uh, quick little conversation ended with me being laid off. So. Uh, was pretty shocked at first, but went home that day. And funny enough, I had a thought that morning before I went into work, I thought, I want to work for myself. And that happened. And, uh, you know, it was just fate. So I moped around for a few days and started looking for other jobs, kind of put that want to work for myself thought, you know, in the in the past and buried it. Uh, So I started looking for other jobs and started applying and nothing was really coming of it. So Mm Right after Christmas, I decided that I just wanted to start my own business. I, I've known that I have all the tools, and I've been taking notes along my whole career, working for some pretty big companies, and, you know, just taking notes of how it's done, and, and I know that I can do it all. So I just kind of started putting some things together, and Half Hitch 3 was born. That's awesome. And so you just started designing websites right from the get-go. Yeah, so I spent some time designing my website, and I think I've redesigned my site four times in the past <laughs> year. So really started, I want to get something up and, you know, just get right out there and start getting clients, and that's not really the, it's a dream, but right, it's not, right. <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and then I thought, oh, I can just stay home and and not, and people just come to me. That didn't happen either. So, you know, I joined joined a co-working space and and that's when I started networking and meeting people and yep. and that's when it really took off. Indie Hall. Indie Hall. Yeah, shout out to Indie Hall. Yeah. As most people know, we're in the room in Indie Hall right now. Big shout out to them. Alex was a guest on our show okay. previously okay. and uh, we recorded here, of course. Just a quick reminder to our listeners that wherever you listen to your podcasts, you should go hit that follow or subscribe button. And if you listen on iHeartRadio, you can actually hit auto download and just get yourself made strategies episodes automatically downloaded to your phone so you never miss an episode with awesome entrepreneurs like Lindsay. 
That aside, now let's dive into some cybersecurity stuff. And we can talk mainly about whatever you want, but we can start with best practices for designing a website. What do you think those are? Uh, User-friendly. I mean, if you go into a store and you're, you know, taken by all these paths to go and you don't really know, you know, what are you doing there? You kind of need a roadmap. So right. a website should should very be very user-friendly. Um, a lot of thought should be put into the experience that the user has and also the company's goals. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm having a, a call with a new client, I'll ask, fill in the blank for me. I want my website to be a tool to, you know, what do you, what do you want it to do for you? So that's something that a lot of people think, I just, I just want a website, but <laughs> you got to think about your website as a tool because right. it is working for you 24 seven. And you know, what do you want it to be doing for you while you're asleep? So, right. um, yeah, really just user experience is, is the main thing. The big thing. Yeah. And yeah, it really is the face of your business, so to speak, especially in today's world. If you don't have a website, the majority of people aren't even going to talk to you or do business with you. It's just, they don't have a website. Something must be wrong. Right. right. Yeah. Are they real? <laughs> and that being said too, um, if you have a website and the website isn't good, that's just another, you know, this company clearly doesn't care about their image or if they have a website that's looks like it's from the 90s, then what is that saying about the status and the speed of your company? Right, right. Yeah, actually, quick sidebar to that. I was Christmas shopping for Sarah, for my wife. And while I was doing it, I was looking for um, Victorian stuff because she likes kind of antique looking stuff. And I found this website that had some really cool stuff on it. But the website looked, to your point, like it was from the 80s or 90s, like the old school, like just text based, you know, with the boxes around the text and stuff and the text on the left side and just looked really weird. And I thought to myself, there's no way I am putting my credit card information into this site. (laughs) Absolutely not. And so, yeah, to your point, that becomes a big issue and a big turnoff for people. Yeah. So what about looking at SL certificates? What are they? Why do people need them? Why are they a must-have for most websites? Okay, so SSL stands for Secure Sockets Layer. Um, and what that does is it basically creates end-to-end encryption. Mm-hmm. So any data that gets put in goes through an encrypted tunnel. And encryption is just the scrambling of, you know, all, all the characters and there's keys involved with it. it I can get very technical, but I won't. <laughs> um, but it basically encrypts it so it's safe. That way if someone right. is uh, sniffing like packets and uh, watching your network, they're not going to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. So it's super important. It's really, honestly, it's important for everyone to have one. Many companies that offer hosting offer a free SSL certificate. It's Let's Encrypt is the this pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a, a website that has uh, a form where your users are putting in their information, although it's not their credit card information, it's still it's still their information. Say right. they're putting in their address or their email. Like, I don't want my email address. You know, we all get spammed, but yeah. it's just one more way that you can make people feel safe about filling out forms and um also, WordPress websites have the the login screen. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have an SSL and you're logging in, you're pushing your credentials through there unencrypted every single time. And the WordPress login page is, is a commonly known, you know, you know how to get there. Right. So right. why would you think that you, you're safe? You're really not safe. Yeah. And there are a couple things to unpack there. As you mentioned, even email addresses, what one would think is basic user data, right, Right. is generally required to be taken care of very carefully under the GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation, which is mainly in Europe 
for EU member states, but there's also the CCPA, which is the California Consumer Protection Act, which covers a lot of the US. Because if you're dealing with anyone who comes to your website from California, you have to comply with those regulations. And a lot of people basically were all at risk, essentially, because even if you're collecting emails for your newsletter, for example, or for your email marketing campaigns or whatever, you're at risk of getting breached, losing that data, and then you're up for grabs in terms of liability. Someone could sue you. But beyond that, for e-commerce websites, they have a pretty much a requirement to be PCI DSS compliant. And that's payment card industry data security standard compliant. And generally speaking, at a very high level, right? That means you need to build and maintain a secure network and systems. You have to protect cardholder data. You have to maintain a vulnerability management program, implement strong access control measures, regularly monitor and test networks, and maintain an information security policy. But can you tell us more about all of that? I I know I kind of hit the high notes there, but on a technical level, what are some of the ways that you can maintain compliance with the PCI DSS? The the biggest thing that I can speak of on that is going to be having that SSL certificate. Mm-hmm. And then also um, making sure that if you're using a hosting company, you know, you, you're on a shared server. Right. So even though you might be keeping your stuff up to date, the guy next to you might not be. Yeah, good so point. You, you need to make sure that you're if you're if you're storing customer data, that it's stored somewhere secure mm-hmm. and making sure that the the file permissions are all set. Everything needs to be locked down. Right. And then there are other issues as well with Google penalizing you if you don't have an SSL certificate. Exactly. And two, um, if you go to a website, depending on what browser you're in, Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll get the warning, the site is insecure. That's enough to turn someone away right away. You've got to be pretty dedicated to saying, okay, ignore, you know, you got to check the box. Like it's just, it's just not, not okay in this day and age. And Google's really taking a stand against it. They want a secure internet as well. So they will penalize your search results if you don't have an SSL. Exactly. Now, shifting to usernames and passwords, right? Which is a bugaboo with everybody. They get all upset that they have to change their passwords every three months or whatever. My wife gets on me because I have like a password keeper in my phone and I always come up with these. You've seen them because I've (laughs) shared my (laughs) password so that you can get in and design the sites. But I I always just use like Google's uh, strong password Mm -hmm. suggester or whatever Mm -hmm. or the one in my phone. What are your best practices for that? For creating passwords, um, it it definitely, there's all sorts of standards. I mean, you could Google it and you're going to get 10 different answers. But the longer the, longer the password, the better. Um, if you're going to have a username, don't make it admin or anything, <laughs> you know, don't make yours Tony. Right, like right. as easy as it is for us to remember those things, if we use password managers like LastPass or Dashlane, those will those will save those passwords and usernames for you, taking that out of the equation. Right. Because you know I'll send clients passwords and usernames all the time, and I get this smoking hot email back that they're mad that I'm never going to remember this. Can you just make it my wife's name? And yeah, I'd love to, <laughs> but if someone else knows your wife, then your website's going to get hacked, right. or you know your hosting and. Right. That's not something to play with. That can really damage your business in the end. Which also, to your point, I mean, it's not hard in today's world to find information on someone that 
pretty much tells you almost everything about them. You're posting stuff on Facebook kind of haphazardly, not really thinking about what you're posting to Instagram, and you think you're locking down your account because you're marking them private or whatever. But trust me, the hackers can get there. So you cannot hide from anyone in today's world. And to your point, if you're just using this sort of, you know, generic information, you're really at risk, right? Right. And with, like I said, with the face of your business being, you know, being your website, having something so insecure is not okay. Someone could get in there, hack it and do horrible things, whether they change your text, whether they put, you know, pornographic, you know, it's happened. You've gone to websites where you get redirected or you'll see things on the homepage that are Right. They're horrible. Yeah. One one thing I've noticed recently is um, I was working with someone and I won't say who it is or any of that, obviously, so that I don't so that I protect the innocent and their website was fine. But their SERP results they're on Google search engine results page result. Right. Where you. So essentially you Google this individual and their website popped, you know, the listing on Google is their website and then whatever, their about page, mm-hmm. their contact page, all that stuff. And there's that sort of three lines, that mini paragraph of text. And that was clearly not about them. Just that bit yeah. of, of data on the results page had been hacked or something. Yeah. And I guess on the back end of their code, somebody had been messing with their site and they just didn't even know because it, their website looked fine. Right. Yeah. And that, and that type of stuff. I mean... A website can be hacked through a form. Mm-hmm. If a form doesn't have the right uh, regulations uh, coded into it, things can get injected into the database. WordPress is database driven. Mm-hmm. So if a hacker really wants to get into your site and they're dedicated and motivated, they, you know, there are many, many ways. But there yeah. are also on the other side of that, there's a lot of security measures that my company takes to make forms secure. You know, a lot of a lot of that stuff that you wouldn't really think about on the front end, there's right. a lot that goes on in right. the back end. Right. And so looking at the structure of passwords as well, I personally agree with you that just using alphanumeric gibberish, non-dictionary words, and even when you're using symbols like your dollar signs or your at symbols, trying not to just use those in place of the common yeah, letter, right? Yeah, that's not a strategy anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's not no. going to work, right? So what are the best practices for preventing hackers from being able to use password crackers, what what are your best practices for structuring your passwords? Yeah, so basically, I mean, you pretty much just hit everything. Um, the one thing I want to stress is if it's in the dictionary, it's going to get cracked. <laughs> I, I actually just uh, was working with a program that was a password cracker, not maliciously as right, training. Right. And uh, it went through a sequence of passwords. You could see it on the screen. And, you know, it was uh, like, love my kids for and, you know, like all these things that people really use. And it found the password in a, in a matter of minutes. Wow. So, wow. yeah, really, the longer, the better. Um, alphanumeric. And if the website has a structure that they want you to follow, because sometimes, you know, we're like, I have this great password. And then it's like, sorry, you used an apostrophe <laughs> and you can't have one. So really, you know, you're kind of sometimes at the mercy of. Uh, of the site that you're signing up for. But, now, um, what's your personal feel on like Google's password generator and password keeper? Because now Google has, as part of your Google account, right? They have that 
when you're in a site that has a form and it's asking you to register or whatever, yeah. it can suggest a mm-hmm. strong password, right? Yeah. And in all honesty, I've been using that because it just suggests it's easy, it's easy gibberish. Too. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and it keeps it. So, yeah. so yeah. Google's a company that's very reputable. They've put a lot of money into the things that they do. So I think it's a great solution. Mm-hmm. I, I use it as well. Um, I used to go out to a password generator and then copy and paste and all that. But this just kind of is in the world that we're living in is that easy, quick, you know, just don't save passwords in your browsers. That's Mm -hmm. one major, major thing to, you know, it's easy, but it's not, not a good strategy. Meaning Chrome, Firefox, it'll suggest Exactly. It'll suggest it. And although we're like, oh, well, it's my computer. It's not. Right. You got to think about you're saving it. Where is it being saved to? Is that secure? So. Although it's easy, it's not a good practice. And then there are issues with Wi-Fi hacking. I know that's not exactly mm-hmm. in your in your space particularly, but just a quick tangent for to this point, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times, you know, you have whoever your internet service provider is come over, install your modem after, you know, that six-hour window that you've been sitting at home waiting for them to show <laughs> up. Um, but they come, they install their modem, and then generally speaking, the modem's have just a regular username as admin yep. and the password is password, which yep. by the way, who's designing these modems? You put the stupid <laughs> sticker on there with the Wi-Fi password. That's like all gibberish, right? Why can't you do that to the modem as well? Right. But fine, yeah. Whatever. But so that's an issue because people do still, we've sort of forgotten about this, I think societally, but people still steal internet from their neighbors and stuff. Yeah. So you have to actively go in there and change your admin settings. Otherwise, you're just at risk. Yeah. And there's another, uh, another little Wi-Fi security tip would be to disable your SSID, which is the name of your network and just program that stuff into your devices. That way it automatically connects and you don't have that risk. Right. I mean, the risk used to be a lot bigger, but it's still, if, if you're, you know, when I log into my Wi-Fi at home, I see all of my neighbors yeah. and most of them have a lock on it. But if I was <laughs> curious, you yeah. know, it, it's just the same as, as, is going into Starbucks and trying to use their Yep. Their Wi-Fi, if anybody's is running any type of software, your traffic is all out there. Yeah, right. And of course, nowadays, people, are, I think, are a little bit more aware of using, say, VPNs or something mm-hmm. along those lines, which is fantastic. And that's generally recommended, would you say? Yeah. So one thing with VPNs, though, um, make sure it's a paid VPN. If it's a free VPN, you're the you're the subject of some type of <laughs> test, you know, like if it's free, it's not. Yeah, it's too right. good to be true. So exactly. make sure that you choose a VPN service that uh, is is not free. Right. And also um, the country that the VPN service is located in. Uh, check the laws on are they required to make that data available if requested? Some countries are some countries are. not I believe Panama I'm not sure which VPN service it is, but there's one in Panama that's it's one of the best because Panama has some pretty good data privacy regulations. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to consider with VPNs, although VPNs are great. Really do your research before jumping in to get one. Cool. Now, going back to websites. So two factor authentication. um, What do you what are your thoughts on that? Should people be using it on everything? Should they be using it on their own website? What what do you think about two factor authentication? I know it's becoming a new sort of nouveau thing that everyone's doing all of a sudden. And it's a little cumbersome still. We're still kind of figuring it out. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. So um, the websites that we do, that is an option. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't had anyone specifically request it. But as we keep growing 
and wanting to make our websites really a security first. I don't want our clients to have to ask, can you make my website secure? <laughs> I want to give it to you as secure as possible. So two-factor authentication is something that can be built in, and I, I would highly, highly recommend it. The problem is it's, it's, it's one extra step. Right. For example, when I log into my PayPal, I have it turned on, and I have to check that text message, and I have to get that code but it's keeping people from getting in there and, and you know, changing the bank account, routing my money to theirs. Yeah, so yeah. I definitely think anywhere that it can be used, that it should be used. It's just that one extra layer. You, know, yeah. you can't just rely, even if you do have a secure password, if there's a will, there's a way, even if it is alphanumeric. Um, so two factors should be used whenever possible. And I know just from talking to you um, while we've been working on the sites together and stuff that you're kind of a social engineering enthusiast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that? Because it's becoming very, very sophisticated. First of all, what is social engineering for those who don't know? So social engineering is where you would be tricked into giving up your information and not even knowing it. Right. So you could get an email maybe from your bank that says, hey, we, you know, we did a new system and we need you to re-verify your credentials. Right. Um, so that's that's the overview of social engineering. But even if you work for a company, even a large corporation, someone could easily maybe call your desk, find your phone number online. Because websites, too, there's a fine line of how much we want to put on there about right. employees. And, you know, do we really need to list extensions? But someone could easily call and say, hey, this is the IT department. We need your password. You know, we're locked out. or And people will do it because they just don't they don't. They don't know any better. Of course. And everybody's good. And, you know, oh, yeah. it's the IT department. They need it. Let me help them. <laughs> so that's just our our nature. My family members, I've had some family members, I've had some friends who will sometimes say, hey, I got like this call in a voicemail from the Social Security Administration and they need my information right away and they want me to call this 1-800 number. Generally speaking, the government is not going to be calling you up, <laughs> asking you to remind them what your social security right. number is or whatever. So those are all fake. Stay away from them. Um, but you see it a lot, actually. I, I personally think the biggest danger right now is on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is making a significant push. Nothing against LinkedIn. I don't think the site itself mm -mm, is doing no. anything wrong. But you're getting messages and connection requests from tons of hackers right now. Because if you pay attention to it, a lot of times, if it's somebody you don't know, you should not be accepting that request, first right. and foremost. But sometimes those messages will have information that they're trying to get from you. And if they get to your LinkedIn page, and depending on what you have out there on your LinkedIn page, to your point, is information that you're granting people to use in these social engineering scenarios, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to uh, two-factor authentication and sorry for the uh, tangent. It's it just, was all good. You know, <laughs> my, my ADHD just kicks in every once in a while. But um, looking at the ring camera hack, what are your feelings on that? Tell us about what happened in that first and foremost, and then what your best practices are after the fact. Yeah. So with the ring camera thing, um, you know, people are trying to blame ring. Well, mm -hmm. ring didn't not enable your two-factor authentication. That's on you. <laughs> so with with something like a camera in your home, yep. if there's an option, you need to enable that. Right. Because that's that's dealing with the privacy of of families and and whatnot. And Disney Plus, that was also another thing where hackers were getting in and then they were changing passwords and locking people out 
And what, you know, what do you do at that point? Right. You have to prove that it's your account. And that's not always easy. Yeah. Well, so with stuff like Ring, going back to that, all of these peripherals that you have in your home are basically entry points into your Wi-Fi, correct? Correct. So if you have a quote unquote smart TV, when you're putting it on your Wi-Fi network, those devices really don't have that sophisticated security, especially if they're older. Mm -hmm. So it's basically an easy hack into your Wi-Fi system, right. right? Correct. Can you explain that a little bit, how it works and how people might be able to protect against that? Um, if you have an opinion. On yeah. It. So I actually recently saw a news article um, about that. And it's just you need to turn off any monitoring of and it's just like Alexa always listening. You know, you need to look into these things that are by default turned on. Right. And get that stuff turned off because, yeah, those are additional penetration points into your network. Is there a way to safely use those devices? Do you recommend, for example, segmenting them? You know, you have your 2.4 uh, gigahertz part of your Wi-Fi, and then you have your 5G version of your Wi-Fi, and then you have your guest account. Is it better to put all of those things on your guest account? Is that more or less secure? That's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I guess in in theory, yeah. If you if you ha if you have the know-how. To do that type of stuff, I think that that's definitely a really good right. suggestion. But first and foremost, it starts with a solid, secure Wi-Fi network. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. then just checking to see what are your devices doing. You know, uh, a couple years ago, looked at a bottle of wine on a website and then got on Facebook and there was the wine. Yeah, but Facebook right. was swearing that it wasn't listening or, or watching, but it was. And it was slowly uncovered yep. all the things that are turned on within any of your apps yeah. on your phone, seeing what types of access or data they can access. So it's really, it starts with vigilance of just knowing what, what are they able to see yeah. and access because we'll download apps and we're so excited to get the app that we're just like, okay, okay, okay. You know, and we're pressing, <laughs> okay. And we can't get it fast enough, but we're really not reading to see what yeah. they can access. And, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I've talked about this on the show before. The, the creep factor is real. We were out to dinner one night. This story is true. We were out to dinner one night and we were talking to the other couple about them having had their windows redone on their home. And they happened to mention some local brand that replaced their windows and how good they were and whatever, and that the price was reasonable, all this stuff. Well, a couple of weeks later, we got actual mail from that brand suggesting that we contact them for a discount on getting our windows fixed. That is freaky. Yeah. I'm not going to hire you. No. <laughs> I don't know who came up with no. this strategy, but it's not That's working. Disturbing. It's the opposite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really invasive. And I guess to your point, it's not just the hackers we have to worry no, about. No, it's, it's everybody. It's everywhere. And if people can pay to get data and yeah. like the VPN thing, the free VPNs, they're selling yeah. Your searches, That's although how you making think their money. it's private, you know, yeah. oh, a VPN is private. Right. No, it's not. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know you're a huge fan of WordPress. You've converted me. I agree with you hundred percent that WordPress is the better way to go in terms of designing your website, but tell us why you think WordPress is better than say other drag and drop sites. I don't want to name any to, to throw them under the bus, <laughs> but in case they're listening and in, yeah. co in cohort with Google, but why do you like WordPress better than others? Why do you design from a WordPress base first and foremost? Okay, yeah. So um, I like that WordPress is um, is free. That's one of the biggest things. Uh, it's open source. Mm -hmm. So um, 
that's really the reason that I, I took to WordPress in the beginning. And you own your content. If you're subscribing to any other type of page builder service and you're done with it, what do you do? Can you, hey, can you guys pack up my site and I'll take it? No, because it's proprietary. It's on there. So now you're left with pulling all of your data and, you know, making that switch. So it just doesn't make it easy. And you also don't ultimately have that ownership. Right. So. Right. Good point. Um, that That's really the reason that I chose WordPress was it, there's no fee. Mm-hmm. The, the, the differentiation, though, would be that it's not as easy. You, you got to learn WordPress first. It's right. not like. Anybody can just, oh, I'm going to go get a WordPress and that's that easy. But if if you have, you know, you have that grit to really dig in and learn it, then uh, I think it, it is the best choice. Cool. And so talk to us about themes and plugins, what they are, why they're necessary for a WordPress site to function appropriately. Which ones you recommend? I know I'm piling on a lot. Yeah. So sorry, um, okay. So I'll remind you. I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. Okay. So um, WordPress themes are basically, you know, what the the skin of your website is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So um, we use a theme that's we always use a starter theme that works with our page builder. Um, but also WordPress is going to come pre-installed with other themes that are. I think 2018 is the one that comes with every theme. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure to get those themes out of there because that's just another vulnerability. Say you got a theme that's out of date, you're not even using it. Well, why why do you have it in the first place? So you really only want to have one theme or uh you will have a, a main theme with a child theme. Okay. Because if you're edit if you're making custom edits to a theme and you don't have a child theme, when the theme gets updated, all your stuff is gone. Oh, wow. So right. that's Good one point. a rookie yeah. Rookie old me has done that before. You know, I made all these CSS changes and where do they go? Right. So um, and then the plugins are really the way to add that extra functionality. And that's another reason why we love WordPress so much is because there are so many plugins out there. Say you need to build a form. Well, I don't want to hand code a form. Mm-hmm. It's just I can do it. But why if there's something out there that's going to get me that out of the box, right. then I'm going to do it. Rather work smart. Exactly. And it's all done for you. And um, a lot of the safety, you know, the security measures are already coded into those forms to not take data that might be the SQL injection data Mm -hmm. or getting Mm -hmm. into the database. So um, the one thing I really want to stress, though, with the plugins is if you're going to download plugins, make sure that you look and see how many active installs there are. Okay. If there's only 10 or 20, you know, then it's like, okay, I like to do them the 10,000 plus because that lets you know that it's being used. Right. Also look and see when it was last updated. Mm -hmm. Because two, the reason that updates happen is usually because there's either a bug or a security vulnerability. And so when the updates get pushed, that fixes those and you're safe again. So if if you see a plugin hasn't been updated in a year, you know, get away from it as fast as you can (laughs) because it's not not gonna end well. Right, and if you're not using your themes and plugins, you should just get rid of them, right? A hundred percent. You always need to check and see, what do I actually need? And we do have clients that come over to us, uh, recently had a client come over with over 30 plugins and his site had gotten hacked. Right. And so that's how he came to us with a hacked website. You know, hey, can you, can you clean this up? And no, because we just want to we just want to get rid of it and, and just start over. So we right, were able to right. export the product data and, and get out of it. But any plugin that you're not using is is another security vulnerability. Right. And 
malware can come in that way. 100%. That's the whole point, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so from an updates perspective, even though WordPress is open source, it's generally updated on a very frequent basis, Correct. right? Yeah. Um, and so what do you recommend in terms of best practices for active updating versus passive updating? Passive updating being when WordPress is just sort of automatically saying, hey, this theme got updated to your point earlier versus you having to go in and update certain things. Right. So um, we partner with SiteGround for our hosting and they'll manually push the WordPress updates. Oh, that's And great. I'm great with that yeah. because usually... It does, it's, I've never seen it mess up a site. Usually by the time they're pushing that update out, they've got it worked out to the point where it's not going to destroy your website. So that's cool that if you, if your hosting company offers those manual or the auto updates over the manual, take that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I would recommend logging in once a day. And I know it's, you got a business to run. Your website is not your first priority. Uh, but we offer packages where, right. you know, we'll take care of that aspect and we'll make sure that everything gets updated because the longer that you wait on some of these updates, if a, if a vulnerability exists, a hacker doesn't have to know, oh, self-made strategies, <laughs> you know, they're not coming after you. They're doing a scan for any site that has the specific software with the specific wow. vulnerability. Wow. And then they'll just start trying you know, say they'll try yours and, and then if they don't get through in a reasonable amount of time, they'll move on. Yeah. But it's not like someone is targeting you, you know, in certain situations, yes, they'll target you. But in situations with outdated plugins and software, they're just scanning. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now you had a recent, you don't have to name the client or anything like that, but I remember we were texting back and forth when we were working on our stuff together and you were texting me that you needed a little bit of time because you had a client that was in the middle of a essentially a war, right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Give us a little bit of the so, behind the scenes. Uh, I was forwarded an email from my client mm-hmm. saying that uh, his CPU usage was very high on the server. So I logged in and it was uh, it was incredible. I've never seen something maxed out. to the, wow. You know, I'm surprised the server wasn't in flames. Wow. Because it was receiving pings from all of these different IP addresses and we could look through the logs and we could see this site is massively under attack. Wow. So what we started doing was looking at the IPs. Are, are, is there a range? Uh, we identified a major part of it was coming from the Philippines. So we were able to block the Philippines in general, you know, just trying to shut it down or mm-hmm. bring it down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were able to, to mitigate it and, and get it back into an acceptable range. But it was an e-commerce client. And, wow. you know, any, any a- amount of time that, that an e-commerce site is down is, is hurting you know, yeah. not only the income coming in, but they have existing customers that are coming to the site. And why is the site not working? That right. just doesn't look right. good. And you really don't want to say, hey, sorry, everybody, our site was getting attacked because you've been putting your credit cards in there. Right. So it's just not good, not good for anybody. Yeah. And again, going back to sort of the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about those high level regulations. I mean, if you have clients on your e-commerce site that are coming from California, for example, well, now you're subject to CCPA regulations. And you might be getting sued because if their credit card information just got hacked because of your website, because someone's doing a a brute force attack from the Philippines or something like that, you're now not only losing money because your website might be down, but you might be getting sued on the back end. Correct. And 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 then you're sending out a letter to all of the people who have ever, you know, I've received letters in the same nature of, hey, sorry, you know. 
we had a server vulnerability that we didn't patch up and yep. <laughs> here we are today sending out letters and now we're giving you a year free of Equifax to monitor your credit. <laughs> and I don't even, Thanks. yeah, right. I don't even want to know what you're paying, you know, yeah. like, what are you paying? Right. That right. kind of price. Yeah. And, and, you know, this stuff, you know, we see these big hacks sort of in the news, right? When um, major credit cards get hacked or banks or something like that. Wawa. Yeah. Or, or Wawa. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but then at the same time, this could crush a small business. Oh, absolutely. Those larger companies have a little bit, they have cybersecurity insurance, which by the way, you can get if you're an e-commerce business, that's an alternative way to protect. But I'm sure that when you go to your insurance provider and you're talking to them, they're most likely going to say, well, have you done, have you taken the steps to mitigate it? Right. So that's why working with someone like you is really important. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so how about backing up your website? How often should you be backing up the site as a whole? Um, I'm, I'm a huge control S like OCD, yeah. you know, I'm constantly every two seconds, I'll type a word control S. I'll yeah. type another word. Yeah. Control Me too. S, yeah. I don't, I don't want to lose anything. <laughs> I don't have time to lose anything. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Um, so backups really, I mean, uh, again, SiteGround mm -hmm. we partner with, um, they do an auto backup. They'll do it daily for you. Um, if you're going to do any plugin updates mm -hmm. and a lot of times people will be scared of updating plugins or right. if we're, if they see that WordPress has an update and they're like, ah, I'm not sure, you know, uh, WooCommerce has updates and WooCommerce does not auto update. It's up to you to do that. Wow. But I mean, WooCommerce is what's running your e-commerce store. So please update it. But if you're scared, go ahead and run a backup. Okay. And then if something goes wrong, then you can just pull that back up and wait for the bug to be fixed, you know, whatever it was, if, if a lot of people are experiencing the same problem you were, right. then WordPress will fix that. Okay. Um, so two, um, it kind of depends on the nature of your site. If you're making updates every day, you definitely don't want to lose those updates. Mm -hmm. And if you're taking e-commerce stuff, you want to make sure that if you need to back it up because um, you don't want to lose order data. Right, That's not cool right. that a customer would pay you and then, oh, hey, sorry, our, you know, our site, we got to roll our site back two weeks and now all that's gone. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's something that scares me on a frequent basis with any digital document, any website, anything like that. But I think one of the key points in what you just said is there are professionals that you can rely on like you. Correct. I personally have peace of mind because I know you're watching my back from yeah, the perspective always, of the always. website. And if something goes wrong, we can work on it together. But if I had to figure out plugins or if I was using sort of a um, self-designed website, a drag and drop, or even coded it myself, which I have done in the past before because I'm crazy, but that's just me. To your point, you're never going to be able to stay up to date on all of these regulations and stuff. And that's why you should have solid professionals in your corner like yourself who can help you design it, but can also help you on the back end, make sure that you're staying up to date with all your plugin updates, staying up to date with the regulations and what you need to have on your site to stay protected. And then just going back to recap some of the stuff we talked about, having SSL certificates, you know, you may not know what you need to do that. And you're spending money on a professional to market your business or to produce content marketing for you. And you're hurting yourself with Google anyways, because you don't have the right stuff in the background. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. So it starts with a solid foundation of knowing what you need to have, because you're right. If you're spending money on a marketing agency and you're doing all these things, but your website has fundamental problems, 
you're not doing any right. good for yourself. Right, right. And you frequently, which I love, by the way, you stay on top of me about content that I'm creating. And you're like, well, that's duplicate content. You're going to be hurting yourself from an SEO right. perspective. Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff. The listener is focused on their business and what they're really good at, right? Exactly. And so they focus on developing content or creating a website that speaks to that but you're not going to be reminding yourself of all those things and having team members. I consider you a member of my team through strategic partnership, we'll call it. And having you in my corner makes me feel so much better about that. As a matter of fact, I've never felt so comfortable until we started working together. So I I greatly appreciate (laughs) it. Another thing that I really appreciate about working with you, and I can say this personally again, because we've worked together on a couple of sites now is that, you're very much a collaborator. So you're not coming in and saying, well, I'm managing your website from now on and that's it. You kind of allow, because I'm a little bit, as I'm sure you know at this point, I am a little bit of a semi-control freak. Yeah, I like to be able to kind of get in there Mm -hmm. and mix it up, but not to a whole degree, right? right? Not 100%. And we've worked really well together because you've kind of just Play-Doh'd into my square peg round hole thing and just kind of give me a little bit of room to play and then kind of rope me back in when, when I've gone maybe a little too far. Yeah. So we want our clients to feel empowered, right? You know, I don't want to tell you, I'm going to take your website and make all the changes. Like that's not, that's not even practical. Right. And then you're going to be spending all this money paying me to do these things that you could easily do yourself. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's comes down to do you have time to do it? If you don't, we're happy to do it, but we don't want to hold a website hostage and say, we're the only ones that know how to do it. Right. So we like to educate. We like to work with people. We like to make video screen sharing videos, or um, we'll make PDFs because if there are things with your website that you just can't seem to, you know, Hey, I know you've showed me five times, but can you show me again? Then we'll make a PDF and then you, yeah, then you have it. We're happy to do that for clients to, frequently updated things or things that might be a little tricky for them. Yeah. That way they can do it and they don't have to call us. But if they need to call us, you know, we're always happy to help, but we want people to feel that sense of empowerment with their website. Cool. Very cool. And so just recapping overall, and I'll let you kind of run the ball here, but websites aren't set it and forget it. So from that perspective, I think that's one of the the big high level takeaways from this episode But going back, what are sort of the high level best practices that you think off the top of your head you need to keep in mind when you're working with a client? Um, So, again, the username password thing. um, Also, if you have a WordPress site and maybe you are giving your marketing company some credentials, Mm -hmm. then there are different levels of user access. So maybe if they're just going to be adding content, they don't need to be a full administrator and that's not to say they're going to do anything malicious to your site, but it's just a just a safeguard. Yeah. So uh, usernames and passwords, security, two-factor authentication, making sure you have that SSL certificate. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, if it's offered through your hosting company, it's not always turned on. So, you know, <laughs> and we're happy to that's help and assist. And if you do have an e-commerce site, then there are different levels of SSL certificates. We wrote a blog article recently on our site that kind of talks about the three types and what they offer. So if you're curious about that, you can pop onto our website and check that out. Cool. Um, but yeah, overall, just making sure that it stays maintained. You need to make that a point to log in. You know, if you don't have time once a day, once a week is fine. Mm-hmm. But the problem, like I said earlier, is, is if, in a, if a vulnerability exists, it's only a matter of time until it's right. discovered. So right. 
you really need to just get in there and update those plugins. And it's not a hard, you know, you can bulk update them and, and it's done. So, you cool. know, really just staying on your website and making sure that you are giving it that attention. And also, um, we talked a little bit about search engine stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, if Google sees that you're regularly updating your site, not by way of updating plugins and themes, but if you're regularly making updates to your content, that's going to help you anyway. So it's in your best interest to get on your website and give it some love once a week. Right. And from a backup frequency perspective and an updating content perspective, the nature of your business and the website kind of does affect that, right? To Correct. A degree. Yeah. So how we, would you say that differentiates? Yeah. So um, we run backups on our site daily just because, I mean, it's, it's our, it's our business. Right, and if right. it goes away, then we're, we got a big problem. Right. So, um, but if, if it's a site that you're not updating as frequently, I would say a weekly backup. Some services will do a monthly, and, and that's even fine because if you haven't made any changes to your site, then rolling it back to last month's backup isn't a problem. Mm -hmm. E-commerce sites, depending on the, the frequency of traffic that you're getting and the orders that you're getting, you could even bring it to an hourly because wow. if you, you don't want to lose that sound professional and it doesn't make you— your customers won't come back if, right, if those course. issues start happening. Yeah. 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 You really get one attempt, especially online, right? To make that first impression and develop that no like trust relationship. And the more dissociated we are with someone. So if we have a client online and they're not local, even more so, you know what I mean? So there are layers to that. And to your point, it's kind of an inverse proportion to how much you can kind of screw up for lack of a better term and still maintain that relationship. And like we said earlier in the episode, if you go to a website and it just looks like it's dated just from the eighties or nineties and it just, first of all, it's not attractive. You, you mentioned user experience right at the beginning and just from a, a user experience perspective, you're basically saying to your clients, I don't care about, you know, whether or not you like the site, just buy my stuff. Right. right? Yeah. And so if it looks creepy, it probably is creepy. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I actually was looking at a site yesterday and it was built with tables and table building of websites right. was the early 2000s. Yeah. So if it was built with tables, then what is that telling me that the security of, the, of all of that is, you know, the point. infrastructure of the site has a lot to do yeah. with it. So yeah, definitely, yeah. uh, and it's it's worth the investment. A lot of people too think, well, I'll just I'll just make my website and you know and and that's the easy route. But what you're missing out on is the professional advising, the guidance, right? right. And then also the user experience, the construction of mm -hmm. it is a is a major thing that you're just best to leave it to a professional. Yeah. And then again, take it over when we're done with it. Take <laughs> it over and have as much interaction as you're comfortable with. Yeah. Exactly. And you're willing to, as I mentioned, just from personal experience, you're willing to work with individuals. So if you have a higher level of, I want to really get in there and be posting my blog posts and be actively engaging with the content, you're cool with that as well. And you'll help educate and get yeah. the person to the level where they're comfortable. Yeah. So when we launch any website, we do a complimentary training session mm -hmm. where we not only explain how the aspects of your site work, but we explain WordPress in general. Because WordPress isn't something that you just, you're born knowing. You have to learn the back end and you have to learn what everything does, learn how to make those changes. Right. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's really up to the comfort level, but we do the WordPress training as a standard, no matter if you plan on updating it or not, it's still something that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone has any additional questions or they want to hire Half Hitch 3, 
what are the best ways to get in contact with you? Uh, we have a contact page on our website that you can either schedule a consultation session. We're happy to look at a website and give you an analysis, uh, complimentary, mm-hmm. letting you know what we think. We can look at the code. We can really kind of drill down and see what you're working with currently and then make our mm-hmm. recommendations off that. But um, our contact page, you can schedule a call or you can fill out the form. Uh, or you can email me directly at lindsay at halfhitch3.com. Awesome. And that's halfhitch3, the number three, dot com. Thanks again, Lindsay. Thanks for having me.